0: We're going to read tonight from Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, right 1 through 21. Can you give your attention to the words on the screen and from the Word? Mark 8. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. They've been with me now three days. And have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. He directed the crowd to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. Having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. They took up the broken pieces left over. Seven baskets full, but there were 4,000 people. And he sent them away. Immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. He left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven." of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts so hardened, having eyes? Do you not see, having ears? Can you not hear? Do you not remember that I broke the loaves for 5,000 and how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they answered him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces then did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, Do you still not understand? This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Allison. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, uh, to one another tonight before you, and we thank you for this this chance to be here. We thank you for the privilege and the joy it is to, to be together, to hear your word, to hear the gospel, to know that you are good, that you love us, that your mercy is more um, than the sum of our sins and the sum of the sins of the whole world. And So we praise you for that and ask tonight that you would open our eyes, reveal to us uh, in the eyes of our heart um, that we would see, that we would understand, that we would remember who you are and what you have done. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. So there are times, uh, from a pastor's perspective, when things happen in the world and you pause a sermon series or you pause a service or you pause whatever and you speak to that thing that's happening, that current event. Or sometimes for that. Then there are other times when as you are reading and just plodding along through your normal sermon series and you come to something that is so immensely relevant and so pertinent and so important (laughs) that you just have to preach it that way. Because God has designed, I think, from my study this week of this text and our uh, just the situation that we find ourselves in that this text is very timely for us as a church. So we're going to look at this last section. If you want to uh, throw that last section of the text up there, it's where we're going to focus. And Jesus has this warning that he gives. And it's a warning that's incredibly timely for us because we know we're in this time where we have political and social and physical upheaval, like we've talked about. Rhetoric is up, nuance down, yes? Yes? Rage is up, patience is down, blame is up, humility is down. Yes. And so I'm going to do two things today that I don't normally do. And I know Lem hates it when they start that way. we am going to do it a little differently today. <laughs> two, two things I don't normally do. One, I'm going to respond a little bit more directly to current events in this message than I normally do, which is a, a minefield, so that's going to be fun. And then the other thing I'm going to do is, this is going to be something of a cliffhanger sermon. Uh, This is part one. Next week will be part two. So uh, in just a minute, you'll see why we're doing that. But um, this isn't going to feel, when we get to the end of this sermon, very intentionally, this is not going to feel like it should be the end, okay? So I'm just pre-warning you that that's how it's going to be. And maybe as you listened to that text and Allison read the last verse, you felt that very thing. Surely this is not the end of this text, and yet it is. And so that's what we're going to do today. So we're in Mark Chapter 8, this is, I don't know, three or four or five months now into our study of Mark. We're going to pause Mark after next week. So we will have a nice, clean, round ending after next week. But Mark 8 is something of a transition point in the story of Jesus. All the Gospels do this. They get to this point in the middle of the Gospel where the first half tells all about Jesus doing his things in Galilee. And he gets halfway through and Peter makes this confession about his identity. And we'll see that in next week's text. And it's kind of this turning point where Jesus turns on a dime and begins to focus on Jerusalem and his mission and going to the cross. And the second half of the gospels, of each gospel, records that part of Jesus' story. And that's in this chapter. But before that happens here in this chapter, we have something of, and I saw this word in a commentary and I loved it because I had to learn it. It was a new word. A nadir, you know this word? It means the low point of something. Like if you have, I'm sure it's used in math or whatever, but like at the lowest point of something, you call that bottom point the nadir. It's like the opposite of what we have with the pandemic where we have lots of peaks, right? This is the opposite of that. It's the lowest point rather than the highest point. In this moment, these two stories here at the end that we just read are the lowest point so far in Jesus' ministry. He's been crisscrossing Galilee Mark started out by saying this is the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus then comes out and says, Repent and believe in the kingdom of God, respond and believe. And then Mark records all these stories of people not doing that. We see his family rejects him, his leaders of his of the the Jews reject him. He's rejected by his own hometown, right? His his Predecessor John the Baptist gets his head chopped off by hair. Things are not going super well. And you have to ask yourself, well, is, is Jesus succeeding at his mission or not? I mean, he's here. And in these two stories, Jesus, you can see him getting as frustrated as he gets in almost the entire story. So I want to look at this bottom nadir portion. We're going to sit in this today. This is Jesus being frustrated. Jesus at the lowest point in his ministry so far. So Jesus has this exchange with the Pharisees right before what's up there right now. And they come and they argue with him, and then he gets in the boat with his disciples. And Mark kind of drops in a little foreshadowing things. are like, by the way, they don't really have any bread in the boat. And then Jesus says this to them. Mark writes, And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, if you're just reading the Bible for the first time, that's not the one you're going to rip out and stick on your, you know, on your wall in your kitchen. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. There's a triple threat in here. Mark uses the word caution, and then he records that Jesus says, Beware and watch out. This is a triple threat. This is not like, hey, you know, when you, when you hang out with the Pharisees and, and Herod, just be home by nine. This is like, Beware. There is a real, clear, and present danger that exists in dealing with these two groups of people, both the Pharisees and Herod and his people. So what is the danger? What is the danger that Jesus is warning of? Well, you have to look at the metaphor that he uses to get the next step here. He uses this metaphor of leaven. You know what leaven is? Leaven Any agent that helps bread rise. Baking soda, baking powder, we use yeast a lot Now... I just started this past year as my like 2020 thing, making pizza dough. So every Friday or Saturday, we make pizza dough. And the recipes that I use, it ends up with making three pizza doughs. But when I start and I put in the yeast, the recipe calls for one-third of one-eighth of a teaspoon of yeast. It's like 15 pieces of yeast. When you pour it in there, you're like, it, did I even put any in there? And yet, those 15 pieces of yeast cause the, the dough to rise. Right? Yeast... Contaminates; it gets in, it changes the structure and fabric of whatever food that it's in. And throughout the New Testament and throughout Jewish culture, yeast is a negative metaphor. It stands for corruption. That yeast is this thing that gets in and it corrupts. And so it brings a little clarity here. He's saying, watch out for the corrupting influence of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, who are the Pharisees and Herod? You have to ask that question to understand what he's talking about. And what's really interesting is that the Pharisees and Herod have nothing in common, nothing at all. Okay, on one hand, over here you have the Pharisees. We looked at these people two weeks ago, right? And they're, they've been constantly pushing back against Jesus, constantly arguing with him. Two weeks ago, we saw that they're the people who pride themselves on being good, on following the law. These are the religious leaders. This is like the editor of Jerusalem Today. You know, he's he's one of the Pharisees. The president of Jewish University of Jerusalem. He's a Pharisee. These are the good guys. These are the religious leaders. They're proud. They're powerful. They define themselves in opposition to the world and all of its things. They have religious standards. That's the Pharisees. And then you come over here and you have Herod. You remember Herod? Last time we saw Herod? Herod was chopping off John the Baptist's head after his brother's wife that he stole in marriage had her daughter dance for him at a party. Herod's no Pharisee. Herod's not a good guy. Herod is secular. He's immoral. He's politically driven. And he's got these two groups of people that follow him. One is called the Herodians. That makes sense. It's people that follow Herod. They're like just Herod partisans because he's kind of the king of the local region. And then you have the Sadducees, which is another religious class that actually supported. They're kind of the wealthy religious people that supported Herod and his reign over this area of Israel. These are people with worldly standards and worldly power. And so you say, why does Jesus group these two people together, these two groups of people together that seem to have nothing whatsoever in common? They're opposed politically. They're opposed religiously. They're opposed theologically. They're opposed socially. They're opposed, these are two totally different groups of people. It's like during the Civil War, if somebody like stood up on a box and was like, Beware the leaven of the North and the South. Like, well, which one am I supposed to be worried about? So beware of the USSR and the United States, right? You see, you see that it's like beware of the Axis and the Allies. You're like I, I'm confused. What, what's the what are you trying to say? Why are you pairing two groups of people that seem so far apart? And the key here lies in seeing that Jesus is critiquing not their positions, but their posture. Not their positions, but their posture. There's a number of things that we could look at here, but I want to highlight and spend our time on one specific posture that they have, and that's that both of these groups have a specific posture towards power. They have a posture towards power. Both the the Pharisees and then Herod and his Herodians and the Sadducees, all of these people were completely enmeshed in the political power structures of the day, both in Jewish culture and in Roman culture. And they lived As if their lives, this is a very important sentence, they lived as if their lives depended upon the political, social, and physical structures within which they lived. They have a posture towards power where they're dependent, and they live as if they're dependent on the political, social, and physical structures within which they live. So the politics and the social status and the, the power defined their world. They found their identity and their purpose and their meaning in the socio-political ways of interacting. They navigate the world in terms of power. You see, they're very different on the outside, but these people are exactly the same on the inside. Inside, the Pharisees and all of their people who look like the good guys and this really bad-looking king and all of his followers, Jesus is like, they're really the same. Their posture towards worldly power is one of living as if they depend on these structures for their very life. Jesus is not sorting through their positions and being like, I agree with that position, I don't agree with this position, I agree with this issue and not with this issue. She's like, their entire way of business is bad. It's yeast, it's leaven, it will get in and corrupt. There's a lot of examples in the Gospels that we could look at for time, I just want to go right back to the one right above this, where Jesus just talked to the Pharisees. And look at what happens, right? They come to him. Can we go up to, yeah, there it is. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. This sort of sounds benign, but if you look at the, the Greek words in there, these are like combative words. He uses a different word for came. That's like they came out like a military presence. They came out to him with a military presence presence and they came to argue and they came to test not to like like validate him but to try to invalidate him this is a this is a power move they're like coming down and be like hey i want to right now show me a sign so i know whether you know you're powerful or not this is a power dynamic eugene peterson in the message quotes he he describes this verse or translates this verse as, when they arrived the pharisees came out and started in on him badgering him to prove himself pushing him up against the wall that's the sense of what's going on here. The Pharisees are religious people who are engaged in a power struggle. Herod, right again, you don't have to look very much further than the one story Mark records about him. He, he beheaded John the Baptist for political expediency, even though he liked him. Right, this is power. It's power and status and the machinery of politics. And So the question, I was, as I read this verse that says Jesus issued this warning against the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, and I said, what does that look like for us? Who would Jesus stand up in our boat and warn us about? What would he warn us about? What are the prevailing power structures that Jesus would look at and say, beware, watch out, those power structures are leavened. They're gonna get in and corrupt you. Not necessarily a who, but a what. I wanna suggest three from our From our context, they map onto any context, but for us, I'm going to apply specifically for us. And this is where I, like, step into the minefield. So, Clay, you can tackle me if I say anything heretical. Okay, here's the first one. I think Jesus would stand up here and say, beware the leaven. This one's not very controversial. Beware the leaven of political power. Beware the leaven, the yeast, the corrupting influence of political power. See, political forces and structures and positions, they're about power. This is how Wikipedia defines politics the set of activities that are associated with making decisions in groups and other forms of power relations between individuals, such as the distribution of resources or status. That's politics. It's politics, baby. It's power. Who gets to make the decisions? Who gets to be in charge? Elections are about power. Judges are about power. Riots are about power. Right, And the way that political leaven works is that when you engage with those systems of power, they captivate you. There's leaven there. They, they get in your heart and they pull you in and they, they dominate you. They corrupt you. We see this all around us. Right? We get in the, you, t- you bring up politics in a room and what do you have? You have superiority and anger and defensiveness and fear and pride. Like it sets us off like that because it's corrupting. Because it's about power. Or we use the language of us versus them. Everything's us versus them. Those people, those guys, those parties, that party, those senators. Us versus them. We can see this. I'm just going to go right to the low-hanging fruit here of our most recent election. Right? You read like Republican-oriented news, and you learn that if Joe Biden wins, that this is literally the end of the world. It's literally the end. It's over. There's no more freedom. There's no more guns. There's no more anything. You're going to die. It's an existential crisis. Right? And then you go over and you read pro-Democrat news, and you're like, hey, if Trump wins, the world is going to end literally it's over right that's the 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 context of an existential crisis is the corrupting influence of political power do you see how that works this doesn't matter whether you're pro-trump or pro-biden or pro-pelosi or pro-cruz or anything else right this is not about positions this is jesus saying the posture of political power is corrupting beware He's not saying don't vote. He's not saying don't be a representative. He's not saying don't walk about and talk about your community. He's saying beware. Beware. And this is where we are. Like we're, We are in a situation right now in our country, in our city, in our state, in our towns, maybe probably in your own family, right, where we are just bombarded by the politics of power the corrupting influence and desire for power. We're bombarded with news and tweets and conspiracy. And Jesus says, beware. (laughs) Beware of partisan rancor, not just between Republicans and Democrats, but any kind of political partisan rancor. Beware. It has a corrupting influence. Beware of tying your fate to particular Candidates or parties or elections. But if you, after our election or after last week, January 2, it a week and a half ago, January 6th, if you feel like emotional trauma about what's going on in our country, the very front end of that is the emotional reaction to what's happening. The rest of it is because we're so engaged that if we feel like if this goes wrongly, we're going to lose our lives. That's Levin. That's the corrupting influence of the desire and the need for political power. And Jesus says, with his metaphor, it only takes this much. Beware. The first one is the leaven of political power. The second one's related. And maybe more important for us right now. Beware the leaven of religious power. First one's political power. We know what politics is. But where the leaven of religious power? Both the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians were about religious power. Okay, you know what religious power is? It's the attempt, here's my two flip ways of just talking about it it's an attempt to use religious power to gain social or political ends, or the use of social and political ends to gain, or power to gain religious ends. Let me say them again. It's an attempt to use religious power to to get social ends or political ends or it's an attempt to use social and political power to gain religious ends. Just think about Christian publishing companies, Christian music, influential churches, Christian universities, Christian denominations, even our own church planting network. What what exists in those organizations? Power. Power. The machinery and the politics of Christian organizations and Christians is not necessarily that of Jesus. Did I need to say that again? (laughs) The political power that's wielded by Christian organizations and Christians is not necessarily the power of Jesus. Beware. I've never done this before and I hope I never do it again. This is Quoting a, from a, um, a rally in 2016, Trump said this at Dort College in Indiana. Quote, Christianity will have power. If I'm there, you're going to have plenty of power. You don't need anybody else. You're going to have somebody representing you very, very well. Remember that. Whether you voted for Trump or not, that is the leaven of religious power. That is the manipulation of religion to get social ends. That's leaven. It has a corrupting influence on our hearts. The riot from a week and a half ago, I don't know if you watched the video, saw people carrying crosses, carrying Jesus saves signs while in tactical gear. One rioter later during an interview, said that he, at the door, stopped three times asking if God wanted him to go in, and he felt, quote, the hand of God pushing me on my back going in. This is the leaven of religious power. It has a corrupting influence on our hearts. Franklin Graham has done a lot of good things, but this week he compared voting against the certification of ballots he compared it to the betrayal of Jesus by Judas. Friends, that's leaven. That's straight-up corruption. If we can't call that evil, we can't call anything evil. That's not okay. This is beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the and Herod and the Herodians and the Sadducees. This is the world that we live in. We live in a world where people are using religious rhetoric to get what they want socially and using social rhetoric to get what they want religiously. Works both directions. You don't have to have gone to the riot two weeks ago to be consumed by the desire and the lust for religious power. That's where we find ourselves. It's happening on both sides of the aisle. It's happening in churches. It's happening in organizations. And Jesus says, beware the leaven of the lust for religious power. If your optimism about the kingdom of God is intertwined with the fate of American Christianity, that's leaven. That's corruption. The kingdom of God stands over here and looks at both the United States and the USSR, It looks at both the North and the South, and it says, that's not how we do business here. Yes, we seek the common good, but we do it from a position of sacrifice, not from a position of power. One more. Beware the leaven of political power. Beware the leaven of religious power, corrupting influence on our souls. Beware the leaven of media power. Right? We have news media in our country. Okay, they don't report the news. They report the interpretation of the news. Like You know that, right? There's no such thing as unbiased news. News media reports the interpretation of the news. Don't think for a second that your Christian, that Christianity today is reporting unbiased Christian news. There's no such thing. It's like the Pharisees and their Judaism today, right? Media empire, first century Israel. See, all media in our country, they want something from you. They want your eyeballs, they want your votes, they want your... Vote, whatever. They want Some Media wants something from you. Tony Rinke, you may know him from Desiring God, uh, wrote a great book that I've referenced before called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. He recently came out with a new book called Competing Spectacles. And he says this. We are creatures shaped by what grabs our attention, and what we give our attention to becomes our objective and subjective reality. That is an amazing and very true statement. Okay, hear it again. We are creatures shaped by what grabs our attention and what we give our attention to becomes our objective and subjective reality. You expose yourself to the leaven of the media without being aware and it will change you. It will become your reality. In case you don't know, that's what's happening right now in our country. I could rant for another 45 minutes about social media, another kind of media that's unhelpful mostly, but it promises power and influence and access and that's not it wants something from you. Right? You know Facebook wants something from you. <laughs> Everything, actually. I don't I don't often make these kind of specific uh, applications, but I really, truly believe in my heart that we as a church would be happier, healthier, and holier without our social media accounts. Like, I really, truly believe that in my heart. It's not going to happen. We're not gonna do, and I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just saying that I believe that that's true. <laughs> take, it, take it or leave it. Spend time reading things that don't fit your preconceived notions. Don't give in to the leaven of media power. Don't give yourself to the power, the corrupting influence of media. Beware the leaven of media. Beware the leaven of political power and religious power. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. He's warning them about this immense danger to their souls should they give over to the prevailing power structures of the day. It's a very critical moment. And what did the disciples do? They made Allison laugh reading it, right? Then they began discussing the fact that they had no bread. (laughs) What? One of the commentaries is like they quibble about the meaning of bread without realizing they are being infected by a deadly cancer. Jesus is like, hey, there's cancer over here, and they're like, we, we don't have any bread. Hey, beware of these people and all of this influence around And they're like, did anybody forget to bring the, which one of us? And they start arguing and pointing fingers. They have a mini power struggle in the boat right there, right after Jesus is like, hey, beware of the, the, beware of the corrupting influence of power struggles. And they're like, yeah, 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 we'll get to that later. Where's the... Why didn't John bring the bread? John, you did it again. <laughs> they're totally blind to Jesus' warning. And I think this story is set like this because it teaches a very important lesson. Mark writes it like this because he wants us to understand that political and religious entanglements, you know what they do? They cause spiritual blindness. When we become infested with the corrupting influence of politics and religion and media, you know what that does? It causes spiritual blindness. We begin using Jesus for our own ends. Jesus becomes a pawn in our power game. And we are unable to see and understand the hand of God. That's that's why Jesus is so mad at the Pharisees. This whole thing, these questions that he begins to ask them, these were asked earlier in Mark and they were aimed at the outsiders. Jesus is like, hey, those people, they can't understand, but you, I'm going to help you understand. And five chapters later, he's like... I don't know why they got there, but they got there. The corrupting influence of power got to them. They began to be in, unable to see. There was, in my reading this week, I, was, uh, I came across an article. It was on a blog that was anonymous. So I have no idea who wrote this, but I read these two sentences. Like, I have to read this. It says, We are in danger not merely of having our attention drawn away from the Lord when we are corrupted by these influences, We're not merely in danger of having our attention drawn away for a particular moment, but of having our entire mindset and worldview drawn away permanently. That's the danger. Yeast causes bread to expand and change its original shape. Religious and political power does something like that to the mind and soul. That's where the disciples are at. This is the lowest point in Jesus' ministry. He's like, everything he came for is about listen and see and receive the gospel. And his very own 12 disciples can't understand. They can't see. And so we ask them these questions. And this is where I'm going to leave it for this week. <laughs> because I want, I, we need to sit on this. We need to sit on Jesus' questions to his disciples. This is what Jesus says to them after they get in a fight over which one of them forgot to bring bread. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Why are you engaged in exactly what I'm warning you against? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hard? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets did we pick up? Like 12. 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets do we pick up? Seven? Do you still not understand? See, the corrupting influence of these things makes us unable to respond to the gospel. And Jesus, in the very heart, very center of his ministry, is with his very own followers, is saying to them, beware. Beware. Next week, we're going to see the next part of the story. But for now, we need to sit in this. It's like we sit in Saturday of East, before Easter. We sit in the fact that right in the middle of Jesus' ministry, nothing is going right. No one is understanding. The power and the influence around him is corrupting them, and we need to ponder what that means for us. Let's pray. Lord, give us grace as we operate in our world, this world that you have chosen, the time and the place for us to live, and yet it's full of political and religious and media leaven. Let us beware. Father. Let us watch out. Let us be cautioned by your words to your disciples. Let us look for you. Let us see clearly. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, I think it literally would be pastoral malpractice to actually end my sermon that way. Uh, and also pastoral malpractice not to draw our attention to the connection between the bread in our story <laughs> and the bread on our table. Right? Jesus says in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The reason we hunger and thirst for power through politics and religion and media is because we don't always come and find it here. Like the person who eats of Jesus' sacrifice is satisfied. They saw him feed 4,000 people, they saw him feed 5,000 people. They didn't get it. Right? We're too anxious. We're anxious about elections. We're anxious about our country. We're anxious about ourselves. And we have Jesus. We forget, right? Jesus will restore all things, but he, can't. he does it that way, not this way. So come today to the table. Eat this and be reminded. Drink this and be reminded that in Christ alone we have life. When we walk out that door, when we seek power, it corrupts our ability to know this and experience it. So this is Jesus' invitation to come, right? Because on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, the bread. See that? And he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, This is my body which is given for you. And after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. So we eat this cup. We drink this cup, and we eat this bread to remember and proclaim the body and blood of Christ. until.